to John chapter 12, 4. I think half an hour would be great if we can do this for half an hour. So, So this is uh, this this bit at the end of chapter 12 is rather like what goes before it seems to be little bits but they are connected and I'd like us just to go through them and and think about them I don't think I can claim to be doing anything more wonderful than that but that's that's good enough isn't it to go through what the bible says and think about it together uh, every now and again, John's Gospel has the habit of turning something up that you find so radical, uh, it, it's almost off-putting. And this is one of those places. In some places, he's very predestinarian. And uh, I think this is one of those places. But he does put it in a very powerful balance with other statements and thoughts. So let's go through this together. We might, uh, we might do it in the way that you have, uh, that uh, there are answers uh, in, and discussion. If it's a yes or no answer, don't bother waiting for the microphone. But if it's, if it's a, a sentence or more than a sentence, it'd be really helpful to have the microphone so A, everybody can hear, and B, it gets recorded so people who aren't here can catch up and, uh, and it makes sense to them. So we're looking in John 12, 37 to 50, and it's a sort of summary of the ministry of Jesus. It's sort of trying to encapsulate it and make some main points about it. And particularly, uh, it talks about the response to the ministry of Jesus. Do you just like to look through it and cast your eyes over it? What response is the one that's most mentioned or most to the forefront? Unbelief. Yes, unbelief is a good way of putting it because it says in verse 37, after Jesus had done all these miraculous signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. So, unbelief. It doesn't say that everybody disbelieved, but it does say that many people didn't believe, which actually John tells us right at the beginning, where he says in chapter 1, verse 11, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. And then in the next sentence he says, but some did receive. Chapter 1, verse 12, Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. 
born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. So John's Gospel is realistic about the fact that there is unbelief. So let's put that unbelief, let's just see all the things that are said about it. Verse 42, uh, no, not, oh, I don't know why I put 42. I think I meant 37, excuse me. There was no lack of what, according to verse 37? Signs, yes. Sorry, did somebody say something else? Yeah, it does say miraculous signs, although that's a bit of an over-translation because it, does just, it just says, say, signs. So um, I'll stick with signs. No lack of signs. And I think I could, I think we could expand that to say there was no lack of evidence. Do you think that would be fair to say that? Just to, what, what do the signs do? They provide reasons for believing in Jesus. Uh, so, there's, so let's notice that first. There isn't a lack of evidence. If people don't believe, or these, these people in particular don't believe, it isn't because there wasn't enough evidence. Jesus did a lot of signs and of course John's gospel picks out approximately seven of them for our attention okay let's go on to verses 38 to 40 or 41 this is to do with Isaiah the prophet let's take a look at what it says this was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet quotation as Isaiah sells elsewhere quotation Verse 41, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. So what does Isaiah have to say about this strange reality of unbelief despite a large amount of evidence? Which verse are you, are you on there? Okay. So, um, yeah, so there is a, there's such a thing as blindness, and there is such a thing as something in the heart. Uh, it says here deadening. It's sometimes quoted elsewhere as hardening. Uh, so there is a deadness and a hardening of the heart. Does it say harden? Does it? Okay. Do you know of anywhere else where this is quoted? Uh, the hardening of the heart is a Pharaoh thing, yes. So he's, he's sort of the original hard heart person. Is that a guess or are you doing that from memory? I can't spell Pharaoh. I, I, I will say that I was put off from spelling Pharaoh because I was talking to you at the same time. And, um, I, th I think, uh, so, uh, Ezekiel talks about a hard heart being taken away and replaced by a soft heart. Yes, 
Yes, okay, so that's helpful. So, I'm sorry? Callous? Yeah, a callous, yeah, calloused. Um, yes, their hearts are calloused. This is a sort of hardness, isn't it? So, there's a, I think the, one of the words used is sclerosis. So, what's arteriosclerosis? Hardening of the arteries, yes. So, there's a sort of heart sclerosis. So Ezekiel talks about taking away the hard heart. Thank you. Which chapter is that? Thank you. Fantastic. Yeah, so that's a that's a promise looking forward from the time of Ezekiel looking looking forward. Thank you very much. Excellent. Going back to the quote, 40, verse 40. Is there not anywhere else that that gets quoted? So we, we've thought of the hardness of heart in terms of Pharaoh, which we can perhaps come back to. The, yeah. Parable of the sower. Yeah, let's see if we can find a parable of the sower somewhere. Or parables in general, isn't it? Yes. So I, I went back to Mark chapter 4. Is that, uh, is that about right? Same, same, same theme. Uh, the, the translation looks a little bit different, doesn't it? I haven't done the homework on that, but it, it's certainly there in Mark chapter 4. To those on the outside, everything is said in parables, so they may, may be ever seeing but never perceiving, ever hearing but never understanding, otherwise they might turn and be forgiven. So, it, so that quote and that thought is not a blip in the New Testament. It occurs elsewhere and it occurs in connection, not least, with the parables of Jesus. So for John to say this here is not, you know, it's not just a totally out of order thing. Can we, just doing the, the John version of it, what link does John make with the ancient prophecy and the response of the people in Jesus' own day? Roberto. To fulfill, yes. Thank you. Yeah, there's a full. Not the reason, not the consequence. So let, let me. Uh, if I put the word fulfill, that's what it says, isn't it? This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah. So if I've understood what you're saying, it, it's like saying, in the, if we go to Old Testament to New Testament, there are some things that happen in the Old Testament that go forward, and those, were supposed to, those lines were supposed to meet in Jesus. So things that were happening here, 
happen in the ministry of Jesus par excellence. Yeah, as a continuity, a continuity and a fulfillment. So a full a filling of meaning in Jesus. Yeah, okay, so so in other words, what we're saying is this unbelief, among other things, is a fulfillment of something that God had that had been happening, that God had been uh, speaking about in his word in the Old Testament. Thank you. Anybody want to take that any further? Connection between the unbelief and what Isaiah says. were hardening their hearts were hardening their hearts then I mean why you know why have their eyes got to be blinded mm. is it because you know it just uh, you know it, to look at it on the surface it seems jolly unfair doesn't it if you look at it but on the surface it, it seems unfair is yes um, but is it because earlier on they were they were just ignoring Jesus's miracles that that well this is a good question isn't it it's a very good question I mean if we go back to the hard heart of Pharaoh and without I don't think we've got time to look at all the things in Exodus but you remember that Pharaoh you remember that the the sort of negotiation that took place uh, let my people go they're going to go for a what was it three days journey into the desert and then come back which seems a very reasonable request to me. And he says, no. And then there is a, 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 um, a stronger request, and he says, no. And then he gets used to saying no. And so when the next request comes, he's better at saying no. So with, in Pharaoh's case, from one side of it, there is Pharaoh who is choosing to say no and choosing to say no more and more strongly. So in, in, in scripture it says Pharaoh hardened his heart. But it isn't as though, the Bible won't let us say, okay, well God just stood back, let that all happen, and said, oh look, he's got a hard heart now. It, it, it's always seen as part of God's sovereign, mysterious plan. So uh, the Bible will also say God hardened Pharaoh's heart. So I don't know how to put those two together, but it would not be fair on the Bible to take one of them away. Yes. So in, in Mark's Gospel, which we're not doing, but in Mark's Gospel, as, we, as it goes through from the parables, Jesus says to his disciples, are your hearts hard? And are you so calloused? So he... He, uh, he sort of interacts with his disciples on this whole point. You know, don't harden your hearts. What does it say in Psalm 95? Um, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in the, in the wilderness, whatever it was. So there's a, there is a, a dynamic here between um, our human responsibility 
and God's mysterious so the, the, the word that theologians use is sovereignty which means God's ability to be king that's what sovereign means and to make sure his will happens in all sorts of mysterious ways but he, he makes sure it happens so let's see if I can spell sovereignty Does that look right to you? Sovereignty. So there's an interplay between God, uh, human responsibility and God's mysterious sovereignty. But would you like to look, please, at, the, at, at how this Isaiah quote is, is phrased? Which of them is the bottom line in the way that John portrays it with Isaiah? Which is, which is the, the bottom line? Or perhaps you might think that's not a, a valid question. Perhaps it doesn't have a yes or no answer. But the certain well, that's an interesting point. Yes, have the microphone. Yeah, I'm only just making that point. I mean, I think it's uh, inexplicable, really. Um, yes, I don't think we can answer it, and as you said earlier both things seem to be prominent in scripture but it does say that God has blinded their eyes I mean they can't make themselves unblind Yeah. only God can do that so it, it brings us back to the fact that we're totally reliant on God to take the action Thank you. That's really, really helpful. I'd never thought of that. We can harden our hearts, but we can't soften our hearts. That's really helpful. And it also puts us in the position of being desperately, seriously dependent on God. And I think that we really need to grasp that point. Verse 39 says, For this reason they could not believe. Now that seems a very negative statement. They could not believe. It's a statement of incapacity, of inability. They could not believe. And it's, it's a very negative about human nature. So it, it would be really nice if this passage was saying, well, you know, people have got some good and some bad. There's a bit of yin, a bit of yang, and... If, if you just leave them alone, they'll believe. At least some of them will. But actually this is much more negative and it says they could not believe. It's a statement of inability. And I would say that other parts of the Bible say it's, it isn't just the Jews who couldn't believe. It's human beings as sinners who can't believe. And unless God softens our hearts unless he opens our eyes we can't see and we can't believe which makes it a really critical thing for somebody coming to faith to understand that coming to faith becoming a Christian is not simply within human capacity you know like joining the AA or joining or deciding you'll get 
uh, E.ON as your energy provider as distinct from first utility or something like that. You know, which shall I choose on this? It's something that I must do. I must believe in Jesus Christ, but I cannot do it. Only God can give me that. I need, I need to cry to him, to pray to him, Lord, you must make me a Christian. Lord, I can't see unless you open my eyes. Lord, my heart is so hard unless you give me a soft heart. I will never become a Christian unless you make me a Christian. And it's that desperation, really, of pressure between I must be a Christian, I can't be a Christian, only God can make me a Christian. That's, that's the way I see it. And I think this, this passage is really strong in that direction. Okay, so let's just be, be putting this together because it, it says there was no lack of signs. So Jesus was not of the view that because he was, he was speaking to hard-hearted people, he should just not bother. Is that right? He, he was not of the view that he should not bother. He very earnestly cries out to these people, come to me, believe in me, uh, walk in the light, put your trust in the light. He very strongly makes this appeal. And he does the signs. So we've got to put all these components together. There is no lack of signs. There is, uh, a, a, there is a, a human responsibility and there is God's mysterious sovereignty. Let's, let's go on a little bit, shall we? Verse 42. So here's a little case study of how this works out in practice. At the same time, many even among the leaders believed in him, but because of the Pharisees, they would not confess their faith for fear they would be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise from men rather than praise from God. Now then, do you think, verse 42, these people are Christians? Verse 42, the the people among the leaders who believed. Okay, Maria says no. Give you a microphone and tell us why you think no. They would like to be Christians, but they haven't um, uh, really turned their hearts round because they uh, prefer the praise of men rather than the praise of God. Thank you. Anybody want to agree or disagree? Right, we've got our summer over here. We've got a microphone to disagree into. I'm not actually disagreeing. Is this on, yes? Um, yep, that's it. I'm not actually disagreeing. I'm just saying that um, you can be a Christian and still like the praise of man. Yes. Uh, yeah, I'm I think not saying that's me. <laughs> I think, I think that's most of us, actually. <laughs> that, 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 there's always a, a, a battle, isn't it, for which do we think is most important, the approval of the people around us or the approval of God. So I, I, think, there's, but I think there's a difference between what Christians have as a, a tussle, although they know what the answer is in principle. Well... Uh, oh. Can we let Steve go? Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, in fact, we know that some of them did eventually become believers. I mean, Nicodemus and, and Joseph of Arimathea are yeah. obvious examples. So presumably they were converted, but they hadn't fully realized the, 
the implications of it or what, yep. it, would, what it required them to do. Okay, thank you very much. And Chris was going to say? Okay, you're going to get a microphone. Romans 10. Romans 10 verse 9 says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. There's something very important about confession. Yes. Uh, testimony. Yes. And that's exactly the point that is being referred to back in John 12, 42. They would not confess their faith. Yeah. For fear that they would be put out of the synagogue. So, yeah. We, d we don't know what's in the heart, but it, it, these seem to be important evidences of the truth or otherwise of being Christian. Yes. Whether we have a confessing spirit. Yes. Yeah. I think we could say that whatever however they ended up, and they might have been of the people that Steve mentioned who ended up confessing Christ, but at this point, it's not satisfactory. It's not satisfactory to be convinced in your heart, yeah, Jesus was right, but not to commit to it in such a way that you would be prepared to stand up and say it. That's not, that's not where a Christian ought to be at. If you look back in, so thank, thank you for that, Chris, that's really important. If you look back in chapter 5, John chapter 5, verse 44, uh, he gives this exact same thought of people who refused to accept the testimony of Jesus. And he says, how can you believe if you accept praise from one another, yet make no effort to obtain the praise that comes from the only God? So it's exactly the same thought here. Uh, and and it, it seems to me that what we've got is this um, tussle, this struggle. So there's somebody who's pulled in one direction by um, the glory of, of people, men, and pulled in this way by the glory of God. Because when it says praise, it's more... more it's actually the word glory. Um, and so here you see responsibility sort of worked out in a particular case. So somebody's received the evidence. They say, yeah, that evidence, you know, there's no fault with that evidence, but I'm not prepared to commit on it because it matters more to me what my colleagues think than what God thinks. And... Uh, you would say, well, there's, you know, there's not a, a deep mystery there. Come on, get your act together. If, if Jesus is who he says he is, and you're convinced he is, then you need to walk that walk. You need to put one foot in front of the other on the basis that Jesus is the Son of God. And if your colleagues disapprove of you, then so be it. I mean, isn't that what, what, what we ought to be saying to that person? Isn't that the, the logic of it? Correct. Yeah. Well, it may be like that, yes. Yes. Uh, there's a sort of dividedness, yeah. Didn't Jesus say, I could be wrong here, but I recall, I think 
didn't Jesus say something along the lines of um, whoever denies me before men I will deny before my yes, father yes he did yeah. yes whoever acknowledges before me before yeah. men I will acknowledge before my father in heaven so yes that, that adds weight to the fact that, that confessing Christ is, is not an optional part of being a Christian it's integral to being a Christian Christ says, um, you are my disciples if you do what I say. So it's kind of elaborating what true belief is. Because the devil believes in God mm. and Jesus, but he doesn't follow him. So yes. it is an element of, of acting and doing. I agree with you. I agree with that. I think the... The, the, uh, if I may say so, I don't think the distinction in the Bible is between heart knowledge and head knowledge. It's between knowing that leads to action and just knowing that you don't do anything about. So I think action is the, is the, is the crucial thing. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, but not do what I say? Uh, so here they've got, they, they know it, but they, they're not prepared to act on it. That, that's, that, that would be my view on that. Let's let's move let's move on uh, in verse. So we, we we've got unbelief, we've got evidence. We can see this working out in the str- struggle of particular people, and this does not stop Jesus making promises and making a free what I would say is a free offer. He says Jesus cries out, verse forty-four: When a man believes in me, he does not believe in me only. But the one who sent me, when he looks at me, he sees the one who sent me. I've come into the world as a light that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. So I would say this is in, in, in the area of a promise. Was a promise, a statement? So that no one who believes in me should stay in darkness. I think we'd say that was a promise, wouldn't we? If you, if you believe in me, you will not stay in darkness. Would anybody like to comment on the statements that he's making there in verse 44 to 46? Because I'm not sure if I can think of a good word to sum it up, but maybe, maybe somebody can think of a good word. What, what, what do those verses contribute to our understanding of, of Jesus and the gospel? Yeah, thank you, Chris. I think that is the case. It's the identification of the Son uh, and the Father. So Jesus is saying, when you, when you believe in me, you are believing in the one who sent me. We're that close. So you haven't got to believe in Jesus, get that sorted, and then believe in God as a separate thing. If you're believing in Jesus, you're believing in God. And if you're seeing Jesus, you're seeing God the Father. And does it say, is there another one? Believing me, looks at me. No, that's right. So yeah, it's the identity of the Son and the Father. That's one of John 
John's really big themes. Who is Jesus? He is the exact representation of God. Everything about Jesus exactly shows who God is, which is a, just such a remarkable claim, isn't it? He's the son of the father is really what's, what's being said there. For Jesus. Um, Jesus uses the terms I am, which almost kind of very subtly points to deity. And he says something along the lines of before Abraham was I, I, am. Was I am, which the Jews would have found absolutely yes. Well, horrendous. Yes, and they picked up stones to stone him, I think, mm. at, at that point. Yes. Yeah, he uses the I am way of doing it, but he also does the. Um, it's like a. Sorry? He forgives sins, yes, he, he forgives sins. Uh, and he also sets up this relationship between himself and his father such that um, there is nothing that the father has that the son does not have. And there's nothing that the son has that the father does not have. So, instead, so you get at this exact matching between the father and the son. So it's a little bit like if you have a loudspeaker system uh, and you know that there are some notes in the original that the loudspeaker never comes out with. Um, so it's not a very good copy. And then again, the, the loudspeaker generates some notes, some squeals and buzzes that were never in the original. But Jesus says, I'm not like either of those. I am an exact representation of the Father. It's like having a loudspeaker system that is indistinguishable from the original. You know, it's come through something, but it's so faithful and precise. It, it, it's, it's, it's just the original. See what I mean? It's like that. Let's look at verses 47, because I'm conscious that time is moving on. Here's something else about Jesus' word. This, this is more in terms of a warning. As for the person who hears my word, words but does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to judge the world but to save it. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very word which I spoke will condemn him at the last day. For I did not speak of my own accord but what the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. I know that his command leads to eternal life, so whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. So that's that, that sort of transcription thing again here, isn't it? That if I drew a circle to show the Father, uh, and then he passes on to the Son everything to say, and that is what the Son speaks into the world. And those lines go straight through. Um, there's nothing that Jesus says that hasn't come from the Father. And there's nothing the Father says that Jesus fails to communicate to us. Is that fair? I did not speak on my own accord, but what the Father who sent me commanded me what to say and how to say it. Whatever I say is just what the Father has told me to say. And this has an implication, a warning. Anybody like to tell us what the warning is? Jesus, 
this is true. If you reject Jesus, you reject God. We could probably take that a little bit further from these verses. Yeah, the judgment on the last day. The words themselves will be the judge. Uh, in, in the sense, I think he's saying that on the last day, the, the thing will be, why did you not believe? You had the words. End of story. You had those words and you didn't believe. That, that's a condemnation in itself. Would that be about right? Roberto was... Yeah. Jesus came for to save the world. Yes, thank you. And verse 49, he obeyed God. There is obedience. Verse 49, say that again. Because he does what God commands him. Yes. The implication is obedience. Uh, on the part of Jesus? Jesus obey God. Yes. He receive a command and just pass it on. Yeah, exactly. That, the implication is salvation and obedience. They, they are linked in Jesus. Okay. I don't know whether I would quite make those connections... Um, I'm just thinking about what you said. But certainly Jesus obeys. It's like, um, it's like ballroom dancing, where, where two dancers dance as one. Uh, now, I'm, I'm, I'm hopeless at ballroom dancing, so don't, don't take any... But what I'm told is that, one per, that the man leads and the woman follows, but they dance as one. You, you, it's just indistinguishable. It just flows like that. So you raised eyebrow. This is what I'm told. Thank you, Arsema. The father commands the son, and the son is totally willing to do exactly what the father says in the way the father says it. This is true of his words. It's also true of his actions. And they are as one. In, in, you know, if you see the son, you see the father. Yes, he said it to Philip, have you, which I always remember this. Have you been with me so long and you don't realise that if you've seen me, you've seen the Father? We will stop because we've, um, we've used our time. Let's pray.